women have carried on giving birth throughout the pandemic. So it's not been one of those activities that that the NHS could decide was was non-essential. This time of year, we would usually be doing some podcasts from the BMJ Awards. But, you know, coronavirus. We're still working on acknowledging some of the best medicine from all around the UK. But in the meantime, we've decided to give out the awards for Outstanding Contribution and Research Paper of the Year. In the following interview, Fiona Godley, the BMJ's Editor-in-Chief, talks to the winner of Research Paper of the Year about their work. Hello, I'm Fiona Godley, Editor-in-Chief of the BMJ, and I'm here to present a special award as part of the BMJ Awards 2020. Normally, this would have taken place at a gala event in London, at which we would also present awards in 15 or so other categories. And sadly, for obvious reasons, that hasn't been possible this year. Shortlisting for these other categories has been completed, but the panels for judging the shortlists and the presentation to the winners has had to be postponed until later in the year. However, the choice of a winner for one of the awards, the Research Paper of the Year 2020, rests with the BMJ's editors, and I'm therefore delighted to be able to announce that the award this year goes to the Anode Study, published in The Lancet last year, And the anode study is the prophylactic antibiotics for the prevention of infection following operative delivery. And I'm very pleased to uh, welcome senior author of the study, Professor Marion Knight from the National Perinatal Epidemiology Unit of the Nuffield Department of Population Health at the University of Oxford. Hello, Marion, and congratulations. Hello, thank you very much. Uh, So yes, Marion, congratulations and to your team. Could you tell us a bit about this study and how it came about? So um, the the study arose from an observation that we, um, when we were looking at um, maternal sepsis, so severe infection after pregnancy, um, and all modes of operative delivery, um, including caesarean birth, as well as forceps or von Tues birth, were associated with uh, risk of infection. And then when I looked at the Cochrane Library, there were 96 different trials looking at prophylactic antibiotics in prevention of, of, of infection after caesarean birth, but only one very small trial looking at prevention of infection after operative vaginal birth. Um, so anode sprung from that observation. Um, and it, it was one of those questions that I couldn't quite believe nobody had ever answered before. Um, so, so that's where the trial started. Uh, famously, um, obstetrics received the wooden spoon, didn't it, from Archie Cochrane for in in the past being the least evidence based specialty and uh, having you know the poorest, uh, I suppose, research tradition. Uh, I mean, this suggests that that has now firmly changed. And is that your sense that that research in obstetrics has become a, a mainstream activity? It, it it very definitely has, and I was I was reflecting on that. I mean, I think you know I'm sitting here sadly because we we can't have a a, a big awards event, but but this was a, a huge team effort, and I think the the network of of research midwives um, and and uh, research, the commitment to to trials, particularly in obstetrics in the UK, is is second to none. Um, and and the the fantastic network that that the um, 
through the NIHR and the equivalent in the devolved nations means that we can run big trials like this and we can run big trials like this across all sorts of hospitals, which means that that the results we get are, are going to be generalizable to to many, many women. So so I do. I definitely think that that Archie would not be presenting us with his wooden spoon today. Tell us about the uh, the way you did the study and what it found. So it was a very pragmatic study. So we simply randomised women to receive a single intravenous dose of antibiotic shortly after uh, operative vaginal birth and compared that with a placebo of normal saline. And then we looked at uh, the rate of infection at six weeks postpartum. And we showed that there was a reduction from 19% of women having an infection in the placebo group to 11% in the uh, active group. So almost a halving of the rate of infection. What I guess was really, um, I'm, I'm a public health physician by background. And so, so for me, this study was almost a win-win in that I could potentially be preventing non-evidence-based use of antibiotic as well as uh, ensuring prevention of infection but actually what was really good was that we we prevented infection but when we looked at the total antibiotic doses administered we also showed that there was a reduction in the overall use of a uh, number of doses of antibiotics because of the amount of infections that have been prevented even though we've got a universal um, single prophylactic dose being given. And um, what what would be the potential impact of that if if um, widely adopted, you know, across the UK, for example? So we estimated across the UK that this would prevent uh, about eight thousand women um, having an infection every year, um, and it, it wasn't just it didn't just prevent infection. So we showed that women were had had much lower. Uh, 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 pain postnatally, for example, much many many fewer had wound breakdown. So again, you know, potentially many other longer term problems prevented by by this single single dose of antibiotic. And and uh, my understanding is that the study has had wide uptake, and and that, that that this has been really one of the one of the great things about the work that you've done is that it really has taken up in clinical practice pretty swiftly. Indeed, uh, we, we almost, again, a, a really an, another nice advantage of having lots of centres involved and, and very dedicated research staff. Um, I had people begging me as to almost, you know, when can we implement it, which which is a, a fantastic position to be in. You know, there's there's it's well known there's a big lag usually between uh, research evidence mm. being produced and being being introduced into practice. But in fact it was almost the converse people were people were wanting to change their practice when the, you know that they knew the results but but it hadn't yet been published and 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 uh, and as soon as they as soon as they could they did um national guidelines have obviously changed uh, already so so yes um clearly it's been it's benefiting women already which is fantastic so is this an area where one might say no further research is needed? We don't need to look at this again. We're confident of the result. And, uh, or, or do you think there is further research to be done here? So, so it, it is interesting um, because for me, this was such a clear result that I, I, I didn't think it could be interpreted in any other way. But, but it has been, uh, it's been questioned in terms of some of the practices in the UK, which differ from elsewhere. So, uh, for example, um, most women in the in the study had an episiotomy because 
Um, that is stand, fairly standard practice with, with forceps birth here. Um, but uh, some people were questioning that maybe if we reduce the episiotomy rate, um, we might reduce infection uh, rather than having to give antibiotics. So um, I, I guess there are still some questions. Um, so I think, and, and we're doing this at the moment, we're doing a secondary analysis of the data to see if we can pull out more about the specific risk factors associated with, with infection in this group. Um, you know, there's still, again, with a public health hat on, there must still be a place for ensuring that we've got um, absolutely uh, as good as we can in, our, in terms of our aseptic practice. Because, you know, even in this, 11% of women in the, in the antibiotic arms still got an infection. So there's obviously still a lot more we can do uh, prevention-wise. Um, my concern, and I think um, it, it's pertinent to your question about further research, there's always the, well, maybe a bit more might be a bit better kind of uh, frame of mind. I, I definitely don't think we've got evidence that we should be using more than one dose. Um, so I think if if it ever was to be considered that a longer prophylactic dose might be used needed to be used, that definitely would need another trial because I don't think we can we can we can't introduce that just on empiric evidence alone. Mm-hmm. And where next for your team? What 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 will be your next direction of uh, activity? Um, well, not surprisingly, my team has been somewhat somewhat taken up with COVID-related uh, research. Um, I have to thank the BMJ again, who just published the the, the biggest national cohort of um, uh, COVID-19 in pregnancy just on Monday this week. So uh, that's obviously kept us very busy. But again, for me, a, a brilliant uh, um, advert for the research network in the UK. So every every single hospital with an obstetric unit um, took part in that study uh, across the UK. So so again, I'm, I think Archie, Archie can firmly keep hold of his wooden spoon. So Marin, how has COVID affected obstetrics? So, so it's interesting because obviously women have carried on giving birth throughout the pandemic. So it's not been one of those activities that that the NHS could decide was was non-essential. Um, and yet it's meant that for some women, they haven't had many of the face-to-face antenatal visits that they should have had or would have had. Um, it's meant that women have been frightened of coming for those uh, face-to-face visits. And, uh, you know, I worry about the potential of impact of that on complications like preeclampsia, for example, which we know is common and we can know be prevented by by standard antenatal care and particularly about perinatal mental health um, which is so important and we were just beginning to get you know to to a level where where maybe there was parity of of mental and physical health care but but kind of face-to-face assessments and that kind of thing just stopped so so I think we you know with the retro you know with the retrospectoscope we we really have to think and plan for 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 normal um, perinatal, um, maternal, um, antenatal, and postnatal and and perinatal mental health care, um, in the context of a pandemic, which I'm not I'm not sure we were ready for um, when this all started. 
And assuming, as I think we must, that COVID is with us for a while, even um, you know, if this if this particular pandemic subsides, uh, you know, seasonal seasonal COVID in the future, or whatever people are discussing, what how do you see obstetrics managing in that new world? So, I mean, the the, re, the reassuring information from from the, the the study published earlier this week is that it doesn't look like COVID per se affects pregnant women more severely than if they were not pregnant. Um, so that that for women is good news, but it does appear to disproportionately uh, affect women in their third trimester. So we will still have to continue to be, in the absence of a vaccine, um, particularly vigilant about infection and, and preventing infection uh, in the third trimester with, with social distancing, hand washing um, uh, rigorously. And we're going to have to adapt our, our processes to that. There's been lots of very innovative, um, a bit like this, uh, you know, very innovative uh, use of video consultations, um, but but there will have to be a level of triage when when we have to recognise that actually we just can't get what we need from a face to face assessment and and we uh, from a video assessment and we will need a face to face assessment um, from a from a public health point of view. Um, I, again, I'm, I'm not sure whether people appreciate that actually anti most of antenatal care is is effectively public health it's effectively prevention um and we don't we don't want women to be frightened by childbirth we want it to be the normal um physiological happy process that that it should be so so we will have to make sure that our processes are are not interfering with that um you know, bearing risks and benefits in mind. Um, what has been really good in terms of the way the way the UK have managed is that they haven't been recommending separation of mothers from babies, for example, because of concerns over infection risk. We're all, or certainly were, working in a very in an evidence free zone. But at least it was recognised that the 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 benefits of of mother baby bonding, breastfeeding. Um, should override any extremely precautionary um, guidelines from that point of view. Point of view. In relation to the uh, last few weeks and, and the upsurging of, of concern about racism and you know, anti-racist anti-racism protests going on around the world, um, we're all being reminded absolutely rightly and, and becoming much more aware of the sort of structural racism that exists within healthcare. And you may know the BMJ did a, a special issue on racism in medicine. And one of the things that came out of that was this concern about um, increased maternal morbidity, mortality amongst women of British, of, of black, black and minority ethnic origin. Um, what's your feeling about how effectively that's being tackled within the UK? So, so I, I think um, so. People ask me about about this all the time. I, I think I think people think there will be there's a there's an easy answer, and it's been it's been put in the too difficult box for too long, um, and and I think people have to recognise that it is going to be difficult. There isn't going to be one answer. It needs to be uh, it needs to be specific in specific communities. Um, you know, and and above all, we have to talk talk to the women who are um, experiencing NHS care, and we have to talk to health professionals and health professionals from all backgrounds. 
um, I know there's a lot of really, really good work going on um, out there. I'm not sure yet how coordinated it is. Um, We're doing a small bit looking in in more depth at the the care of women who who've died specifically with that um, with the the structural the structural racism lens to to make sure that that we can't see any evidence of that with with the work we do we will never um, be able to look at over racism for example so obviously um, women's experiences are going to be very crucial to to tackle any of those kind of issues I mean, the the other point is that it's never going to be solved just by health services. Um, there, there, there are much wider determinants of health, which I think underlie some of these disparities, um, and and therefore it, it will need cross government, cross departmental um, work to tackle it. As as I know you pointed out in 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 your special issue, and, and therefore the position of someone like you um, in obstetrics in academic research but also very much rooted in public health seems to be uh, doubly important exactly yeah so it's very interesting so uh, way back when I had the choice to to continue and 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 become a consultant obstetrician or to become a consultant in in public health with a background in obstetrics and I've never regretted the choice I made because actually having somebody or, you know, with with that wider perspective on on the determinants of health and, and and public and population health within within women's health within obstetrics, I, I think has been has been invaluable certainly to to my career and and the way I think about the 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 research. And Marion, finally, what would be your advice to people coming up through uh, obstetrics and or public health? Um, you know, how 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 would you uh, um, reflecting back on your career so far, how would you advise them on uh, finding their path? Um, so, so for for me, it was recognizing what you enjoyed and uh, and recognizing what gave you the challenge and and what motivates you, um, and um, I know. You know, there there are points when there were decisions, pathway decisions, which seemed enormous at the time. Um, but actually, you can always you can always change your mind. Um, there are a lot of, I guess, moments of serendipity, uh, and 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 um, I guess take advantage of those. I I was lucky to find myself in Oxford because. I followed my husband down here and the unit where I work now just happened to be here. It's it's a fantastic unit and I love working here. But if you told me 15 years ago, you'll still be in the same place. I would not have I would not have believed you. But um, um, I, I think go with what your heart tells you and go go with what makes, you know, what you strongly feel is 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 where you want to make a difference and and that was it for me i wanted to i wanted to do research which was close enough to making a a, a change to clinical practice and the anode trial is a is a great example where things have changed um uh, completely within the space of a year um i wanted to do that kind of research because that's what i knew motivated me 
Fantastic. Well, Marion, many congratulations to you and the team. And uh, we're really delighted to give you the Research Paper of the Year 2020 from the BMJ. Thank you very much for joining us. That's it for this podcast. But we've also just published an interview with the winner of the Outstanding Contribution Award. That's available along with all of our other podcasts on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts from. As Fiona said, the rest of the awards will be happening soon. But in the meantime, if you want to find out more about the categories or previous winners, have a look at the BMJ Awards bmj.com we'll be back next week with more from our gp podcast deep breath in which is looking at what the cumberledge report means for patient trust in their general practitioner we'll also have some more talk evidence so until then thanks for listening <laughs>